Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, church. We're going to be opening God's word to Genesis chapter number 39 this morning. Super grateful uh, to gather in the house of the Lord together and to worship and lift high the name of Jesus. We are going uh, to jump in shortly, but uh, I wanted to throw out a couple of riddles. My kids do this pretty regular to me, especially my son. Uh, He'll ask me some things along the way, and you kind of think about those things, and he'll say something like this. What is something that you can't catch or that you can catch, but you can't throw? What is it? A cold, right? So you guys have got these. Sometimes they're on the back of a little milk jug, you know, that your kids might have in school. What's something that tastes better than it smells? Your tongue, okay? So so if you have three apples and you take away two, how many apples do you have? Two, because you took away two. He does those kind of things to me all the time, right? And so... I want to give you just a a riddle to kind of introduce where we're going today. And what's something that can take a lifetime to build, but only a moment to destroy? Trust, integrity, character. You know, we're going to lean in today and and we're going to lean into a passage of scripture that's very, very familiar. And the reality is that character can take a lifetime to build but only a moment to lose. Character would be defined as moral excellence or moral uh, firmness, right? This thought of integrity. And, you know, as we sang that last song, it is the strength of Christ in us that enables us to walk in integrity. It is only in Christ that we can do that. I want to show you just a a, a little clip from a, a movie that I like, and we'll jump back in. Martinez, have a seat. Thank you, sir. You've been very productive your first month here. You do good work. I'm very grateful to be here. Well, Mr. Martinez, the reason I called you in here is that I'm looking for an additional manager to oversee inventory and shipping. It carries more responsibility, but it pays more. Sound like something you might be interested in? Yes, I would. But before I make my final decision, I'd like for you to work a shift in that department next week. You'll see a list of 17 crates coming in on this sheet. One of those crates will be going to a separate warehouse. Mr. Martinez, when you report the inventory, I'd like for you to report that we received 16 crates. 17 are coming in, but you want me to write down 16? Yes, that's right. I have another purpose for the extra crate. You are on my team, right? Because I really can't use people who aren't on my team. Tell you what. You think about it tonight and give me your answer in the morning. Make it 10 o'clock. But I'll need to know if you really want this job. Good evening, sir.
happy we need this job. For the first time in a year, we're able to pay the bills. No, Carmen, but he made it very clear. If I was not a team player, he did not want me there. Maybe it's not wrong. It just looks that way. He's the owner of the factory. He asked me to write down false information, Carmen. He asked me to lie. When do you have to give him an answer? Ten o'clock. Javi, if he lets you go, promise me that you will call me. If you don't, then I know everything is okay. Javi, I don't want us to go back. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. But I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I would be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Owen oh, Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Well done, Javier. After six times, I was getting discouraged. You know, and the reality is it doesn't always work out like it does in the movies. Sometimes when we stand for Christ, it, it's very costly. Scripture says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Those who are persecuted for righteousness, right? We see those kind of things. And the reality is, though, they could have taken his job, but they could not have taken his character. Above my desk, you'll see a little picture on the screen, but above my desk at home, uh, there's just a, a verse that... Uh, I see and that I'm reminded of it's Proverbs 20 verse 7 and the scripture says this that the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him now as we've been walking through our Bible reading plan and I want to encourage you if you have not been connected in that we are walking through uh, really the great big story of scripture this year and as you uh, walk uh, together with us in that 
uh, my heart has been stirred just to preach through part of that passage as we go along. And so there's a, uh, just a beautiful connection there. So encouraged by so many of you that have shared uh, just of your involvement there of, of groups that are coming together and uh, just discussing things around the word. And we're so grateful uh, for that. Uh, Cowie.church forward slash disciple. You'll see it also uh, in the church app, ways to connect there. Uh, but today we, we're going to be looking at a portion of the story of Joseph. Now, we've been seeing part of his story throughout this week and uh, we'll continue the first part of this week to, uh, to kind of see where some of that lands. And so we encourage you uh, to lean into the scriptures and get the rest of the story. Uh, but today we're going to look at one specific uh, moment, one specific passage in uh, this story. And the title of this message is your character is worth more than your coat. Your character is worth more than your coat. Uh, Genesis 39, beginning in verse one, you'll see it on the screen or you can follow in your copy of God's word. The scripture says this, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned, he put in his charge. It came about from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day and he did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that she, he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I, ra when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph. 
and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. And God, we thank you, Lord, that in the midst of a story that, God, we see just the integrity of Joseph and we see your hand at work. God, we're reminded that there's a reason that he was able to stand. Lord, and and your word tells us that you were with him. And God, I pray, Lord, that that truth could be, God, something that just resonates in our hearts, God, that we would see that our lives, God, are so dependent on you. God, on your spirit, God, on your presence, God, not simply us living for you, but you living your life in and through us, Lord. And I pray, God, that you might intersect us wherever we are today in the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you might call us to repentance, God, that you might call us uh, to salvation, Lord, that there might be people that pass from death to life. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, for your grace, for your provision, Lord, and we I ask you, Lord, for your help in these moments, Father. We pray that you'd have your will and your way in every life, in every family, Lord, and that we might leave here different than when we came in because we have been in your presence. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we read this passage, Genesis 39 starts out and it says, now, Joseph. And so last week, we want to kind of rewind just a touch. Last week, we looked at uh, Jacob and Esau, and we had this uh, overarching thought that we said, don't take the stew, right? And we've been, if you've been following this plan in Genesis 37, the scripture says, now, Jacob. And much of the life of Jacob had been characterized by deception. Much of uh, his life, right? We read uh, about Jacob and Esau. We read about this moment of blessing, right? Where uh, he and his mother work uh, to deceive his father and to steal the birthright, right? And it's a crazy family situation. And you read it. And like you read some stuff in Genesis 38. Now, all these places and you're just like, whoa, there's so much dysfunction. There's so many things that are going on. And in the midst of that, we see that we have a sovereign God and we see a God who is working in all those things to accomplish his purposes. Genesis 30, we read uh, in the scripture that there was a time uh, where Rachel was barren, right? And so there was a, a place in Genesis 30 where the scripture says that God remembered her and he gave her a son and his name was Joseph. Now, Joseph was the favorite growing up, right? And it's not a good thing for families to have favorites, but he was his his dad's favorite, right? He was uh, from Rachel. It was this child that, uh, that, that God had granted them, right? And he was doing the right things growing up. Seemed like he had so many things figured out. But what we also see is that he was a bit self-righteous and a bit arrogant, right? God had given him a dream. And in that dream, right, all of his brothers, right, are going to bow down to him, right? And so he tells them that, like he's, he's giving them uh, this Uh, description, right? He's telling his brothers, he's like, you're all going to bow down to me. And his brothers hated him. And the reality was in those moments, Joseph was not in a place in his life that he was ready for the responsibility and the things that God had shown him in those moments. But what we're going to see today is that God continued to work in his life. Now his brothers, they're ready to kill him literally, right? And in God's providence and in his plan, we see uh, him sold into slavery. We see God at work in those details. And he, uh, 
uh, is sold into slavery, and this Egyptian officer buys him uh, from uh, the Ishmaelites, right? He's like a blue light special at Kmart. And so Joseph is purchased and all of a sudden finds himself uh, in the house of Potiphar. Now, verse 3 of Genesis 39, we're going to lean into just a few places. The scripture says that his master saw that the Lord was with him and, and how the Lord caused all the things that he did, right, to prosper in his hand. And I just want to point out something in here that when the Lord is with you, right, everybody around you can see that. Those that were around him saw that. If the Lord is with you, people know. And if you've been with the Lord, people know. I love how the New Testament words it when he said that they could not help but see that they had been with Jesus. And we need to be people like that, where those that are around us and the people that are in our classes and the people uh, that work with us and the people that we encounter at lunch and the people that are at waitress at the restaurants that you'll go to uh, when you leave this place that they might be able to see that there's something different about you and that you've been with Jesus, right? People will see that. And so Potiphar sees all that and he puts him over everything. And the scripture says that everything starts to look up for Potiphar, right? And verse five says, from that time, that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he owned, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in the house and in the field. Now remember in Genesis 12, in verse 3, we, we see these promises. He says, listen, I will bless thee, right? There's a promise that's been made to Abraham, and we're going to see how God is working to continually uh, bring this to pass. But we see in this passage, he said, I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so here's Joseph experiencing those kind of blessings. God is with him. There's beautiful things that are taking place. And we see Joseph, wherever he's at, right, wherever he's at, whether it's in the class on Monday morning in school that you don't like, or whether it's in the job that you think is just temporary, or whether you're a slave that's been purchased and placed in Potiphar's house, what we see in Joseph is he's faithful wherever he's at. And what God is doing in the midst of that, he's blessing those things and and, and he is growing, right? God is growing him in the times of blessing, right? God grows us in those times. And, and these blessings that he's experiencing, right? Don't forget that he's still a slave, that he's still been sold into Potiphar's house. This is not uh, the greatest moment for him, right? And here's Joe's biggest problem. Some of y'all can relate to this, right? In the midst of this moment, right? Joseph is a handsome man. This is a great time like you ladies can grab your husband or something. You can... Right? And, and Potiphar's wife, she takes a liking to him, right? Because he is so good looking, right? She takes a liking to him and she is pursuing him, right? Day by day. That's what the scripture says, day by day. Uh, she is pursuing him. She's trying to seduce him. She's trying to get him uh, to, uh, to be with her, right? And, and here he is and he's responding day by day. And he says, listen, your hubby, like your husband, he put me in charge of everything. Like, like, do you realize that that's who he is? And by the way, he says, how then could I do this great evil? And let me remind you something in here. He, he doesn't say, how could I, I do this evil and sin against your husband? But he says, how could I do this evil and sin against God? And see, here's what makes it important. And here's what we, we look into the scriptures. And here's what makes when we examine our lives and we say, why is it that I want to walk in integrity? Why is it we're, we're going to be starting Exodus next week? And, and there's a portion of time that we're going to lean into these commands that God has given, these, these 10 commandments. And we're going to see that these are sweet solutions and they reveal the character of God. And when we honor God and we walk in those, we, we don't do that uh, just simply because we, we have this... Um, this greater 
uh, arrogance about us or we're holier than that. We're doing all these things. But we do this because we honor God. And we do this. We desire to walk in integrity no matter what our age. When it comes to immorality, when it comes to sexual sin, when it comes to those things, God has called us to walk in these things. And we do that because when we sin, it's not simply that we're sinning against man. Or, and, and it's easy for us to say, well, the culture all around us is living a certain way. And the culture all around us is doing a certain thing. They're watching certain things. They're acting a certain way. And it's easy for us to say it really doesn't matter. But what we see in the scripture is that it does matter. And as we worship God and we lifted our hands and we said, holy, 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 he has called us to pursue holiness and to walk in integrity and to walk in his ways. And he says, how could I do this evil and sin against God? See, God's growing him even in the midst of this temptation. God is growing him. And we remember in the scripture, we see in James that, that temptation is not from God. God doesn't cause temptation in our life, but he allows those things. Those things happen. We live in the midst of a broken world. Uh, but what we see in this passage is day after day, right? It, it's just getting worse and worse. And then all of a sudden it gets serious. And she's been waiting for this one moment. And, and we're going to talk at the end, right? Satan sharp in the way that he works. And he is what she, she is waiting in this moment. She's waiting for this one moment when nobody else is around, right? I like to imagine maybe what even went on that day. Maybe she's arranged everything to be just right in this moment. Maybe she's lined all those things uh, out, right? And none of the men, the scripture says, of the household are there. It's this moment that they're just by themselves. And all of a sudden we see at this point, right, she is aggressive and she comes and, and she grabs him, right? In verse 12, it says, she caught him by the, his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now notice what he did. He got out of there, right? There's a, there's a time, right? In the scripture, Paul says, flee sexual immorality, right? We see this, this thing, he's getting out of there. He leaves the garment in her hand and he gets out of there. Now here's Joseph doing the right thing. And you'd like to think like in the little movie clip that all of a sudden everything works out good. Joseph does the right thing, but he ends up in a mess, right? He ends up punished anyway. And I'm sure in his mind, there were probably moments that he's going, where's God in the midst of all this, right? Because Potiphar's wife, she didn't like it at all. She didn't like being rejected. She didn't like any part of it. She calls the men together. She twists the story and she tells this story and she says, Joe, this Hebrew is, has been trying to make sport of us and he's been trying to take advantage of me. She tells the story to her husband, men in the room. Imagine this moment, right, where your wife would tell this kind of story. I'm talking about somebody's getting a tail whipping right quick, right? Like, like and it's probably going to be worse than that. Joe's going to be in a mess. Like Joe is going to be in a serious mess. I can imagine like the interaction, right? In the, and the Bible says that the wrath that his wrath kindled, that, that he was so angry in this moment, right? That it was kindled and he puts him in prison. And he, he probably like, here's what Joseph got. He got prison instead of a promotion for doing the right thing. That's what Joseph got. We're not promised that everything is rosy in the midst of the moment, right? I can imagine the embarrassment. I can imagine all the, the conversations, right? And, and here's Potiphar and he's like, here's the deal. I, I want to kill you right now, but I'm going to make it worse on you. I'm going to put you in prison. You're going to rot there. You're never coming out. You're never never do anything and I'm going to make life miserable for you, right? I trusted you with everything and this is what you did. I want to tell you something. God's growing Joseph in times of trials too. God grows us in the, in the good times. He grows us uh, in temptation. He grows us in, in all these moments, right? This is who our God is, right? And in Genesis 39, 21, we see something beautiful and we see this in the early part of the passage, but the scripture says this, the Lord was with Joseph. Listen, the Lord was with 
Joseph. This is how he stood. This is why he stood. He, he is the center of the story, right? Not Joseph. We look and we say, hey, uh, we can learn so much from Joseph and there's practical things that we can take away. And there's all those things that are there. But what we learn in the midst of the story is that the Lord was with Joseph. And if we want to walk in integrity and we want to live as followers of Jesus Christ, it will be an overflow of God's presence in our life, right? He became a successful man because the Lord was with Joseph, right? The center of the story is God in the midst of this story at work, right? And we see these things, right? The narrator of the story, something I'd never seen in this passage, the narrator of the story, he uses the word Lord. He uses the word Yahweh, which is, the, which is super important in this mix. And when we see the narrator telling the story, he uses the word Yahweh. And he says that it's this personal covenant-keeping God. And he says this, he's telling this story from a, from a perspective that's back. And he's watching all the things that go on. He said, this is the God who is working in the midst of all this story. Now, it's very interesting. We don't see Joseph use that word. We don't see that word used any other time until Jacob, right, the deceiver, is on his deathbed. And then he says, Yahweh, and he uses that word. And I believe Jacob looked back and he said, you know what? There's a lot of my life that I've messed up. There's a lot of things, the deception and all the mess that's there. But Yahweh, the personal covenant-keeping God, he's been at work in every moment. He's been at work in every place. He's restored the brokenness. He's done so many things, right? We see that this is the God that we serve. And we're in the midst, right? That's the point of all this, right? We're in the midst of this great big story. And, and God's made a promise to Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob, right? And we read this week that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And there's his sons. And we're going to see uh, that the tribes of Israel come to that. And there's going to be a great nation. We're going to see all of these things. And God has made a promise. And he's working through Jacob. He's working through his descendants. And the dare says Yahweh is working. Now Joseph's probably like, man, I'm missing it in some of these spots. All of a sudden I'm in prison instead of a promotion. But here's the thing. See, Joseph doesn't know it, but unless everything happens the way that it happens, unless everything happens just right, everybody is going to die. What we know is that there's a famine that's coming. What we know uh, is that, that, that this is, is about to be uh, the redemption plan that God is working, right? He is working. He's a covenant keeping God. His promise Promises are true. As we read uh, at the start of, of his life, right, of Joseph being sold, there's no mention of God. On the surface, it seems like God is missing. On the surface, it seems like where in the world is God in these moments? But what he is doing is arranging salvation for his family, right? God is arranging salvation for this family. God is arranging salvation for the world and God's love is not missing even in the most difficult and miserable moments of our life. Temptation will come, but your character is worth more than your coat. Don't trade it for the temporary things of this world. See, Joseph trusted God in today. That's what we've got to do. He trusted God in the midst of temptation. And here's what we see in the scripture. First Corinthians 10, we read this, that God makes a way out, right? No temptation, scripture says, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, people all the time misquote this scripture and they say, hey, the Lord will never put more on you than you can 
Yeah. But that's not in the scripture. The reality is that God many times in the midst of the brokenness of this world and, and the frailty of our lives, that there is more on us than we can handle, that there is more on us than we can carry. But I want you to know with him that he will carry us. And in his strength, we get through those things. And he, he's, scripture says that, that we're more than conquerors through him who has loved us, right? And that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come could ever separate us from the love of God. What we see in this passage, what we see in this though, is that when temptation comes, that God enables a way of escape, right? That he provides with it a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Last week we said, don't take the stew. This week we said, hey, listen, keep your character. You've got to look down the road. You've got to recognize, hey, there's fallout from the things that could be going on right now. And I'm not going to trade a moment of pleasure for the glory and, and the grace and the things that God is doing in the midst. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there are far, far better things ahead than any that we leave behind, right? We can trust that what lies ahead is better than any fleeting temptation any moment of pleasure that we might experience in this life. But here's the deal. As people, right, we all struggle. The scripture says that we've all sinned and that we fall short of the glory of God, that we have a propensity towards sin, that we take the wrong road, right? We have trouble. We have a hard time, right, being faithful in the moments because we think that they don't matter. We think that the class that we're in, we think that the friends that we're around, we think that the things that we're doing on a Monday morning has no significance right now. We think that the job that we have, maybe this temporary place that, we're, that, that we're, we plan to be employed for a little while, we think that those things aren't important. And and we get lost in the mundane, right? We get lost in those moments. We struggle in the midst of our temptation and the things that come at us because we think we're stronger than we are, right? We think that in our own strength that we can walk through those things, right? We struggle being faithful in the trials because we look around and we say, I've been, I've been reading my Bible. Like he told me, hey, how about reading the Bible every day? I've been reading the Bible for one whole month and like my life seems to be worse than when I started. Where's God in the midst of that? We get impatient, right? We feel like anytime something's not going our way, that God has forgotten us, right? And we turn sometimes in the midst of the trial and we get weary and we say, how am I going to get through this? And instead of turning to God, what we have a tendency to do is to turn to that temptation and to fall to temptation in order to cope with the trials that's going on in our life when God is calling us to lean into him and to run to him and to pursue him and to seek him. And see, that's the solution. How do we walk in victory? We are all going to face temptation. We're all going to walk in difficult times. We're all going to do that. The first thing we got to do is, is number one, we got to recognize our weakness. So if you're taking notes, we want to recognize our weakness. Here's a word from Chuck Swindoll in a devotion uh, for pastors. It says, lust is lurking. And he writes this. He said, I think of the gentleman I met several years ago, a fine itinerant Bible teacher. He said that he had been keeping a confidential list of men who were once outstanding expositors of scripture, capable and respected men of God who have shipwrecked their faith on the shoals of moral defilement. He was keeping a record and now it had climbed to 42 of these men. And Swindoll says, a chill ran down my spine when he told me that story. No one is immune. You are not immune. I am not immune. And God forbid that when we see people people falling, that we look at them as people who follow Jesus Christ and is the body of Christ. And we look at them and we have a holier than thou attitude. And we look down and we say, you know what? That could never happen to me because the reality is it could happen to you. It could happen to me. We are not immune to those things. We've got to recognize our weakness. The scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? And we see him commit adultery and murder. I want you to understand we are not above that. And so when we see that, it's but by the grace of God that 
we're not in those moments, right? And so we've got to recognize our weakness and we've got to resist the enemy because the enemy is roaming about. That's what the scripture says, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He looks for those that are isolated. He looks for those that are alone. He looks for those that are weary. He looks for those that are tired. Satan, Howard Hendricks, who uh, is a, a, a preaching professor that I like, he says this, Satan will lie in the weeds for 40 years to entrap one of God's servants. He is patient, he will wait, and he will watch for the right moment, the moment that will do the greater damage to the kingdom of God. And here's the thing, Satan is waiting. And if we resist him today, it doesn't mean that we no longer have to resist him, right? That every day uh, we engage in a battle and we live as followers of Jesus Christ in the strength of Christ, out of an overflow of relationship with Christ, out of an overflow of time with the Father. We resist the enemy and we look down the road and we recognize our weakness. Listen, we got to keep our character. It's worth more than our coat. It's worth more than a coat of popularity. It's worth more uh, than a coat of pleasure in these moments. It's worth more than a coat of promotion. It's worth more than any of those things. So we recognize our weakness. We resist the enemy and we rely on Christ. The safety that we will find is in the Savior's hands. The safety that we will find is when we are drawing from the Savior's strength, from his life in us. Because here's the truth. As long as you are trying to handle it yourself, you will lose every time. There's a lie that says, hey, I've been reading my Bible every day. I've been doing those things. I'm not going to face temptation. And what the reality is that you might even face it more, that, that you might even experience it more. The closer that you are to Jesus, sometimes God, he desires to take you out. And if you are engaged, and saying, I want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I'm going to walk uh, in his ways. I'm going to share the good news of the gospel. The enemy would love nothing more than to take you out. But I want to remind you that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And the only hope that we have is to live in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Christian life was not meant to be, I'll repeat a prayer uh, one day after uh, somebody when I'm young and I'll stand on that moment for the rest of my life. And there's nothing wrong with some of those pieces along the way. But the Christian life is a turning from sin and a turning to Jesus and a pursuit of him for the rest of our lives in relationship as we walk in the glory of God. It is, it is repentance and faith in Christ, walking in obedience to his plan. So what is our plan? How do we experience victory? I want to encourage you. We're going to do a few rights. And the first thing we want to do is have a right relationship with God. It's the most important relationship in our life. The scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It said that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our might. We're to have a right relationship with the Lord. He has given us his word. And some of you say, I don't have time to be in his word. I want you to understand something. You do not have time not to be in his word because it is out of an overflow of time in his word of time in prayer of time with the father that you'll have strength to stand this day it's in right relationships with other believers it's in right relationships with other people that are around us and I want to remind you that if you were married today that that first right relationship that outside of that relationship with Jesus and relationship with the Lord that the first priority in your life is your relationship with your spouse and so here's the thing that we've got to be committed to we've got to say listen my wife is going to be number one there's going to be no other relationship in this earth that's going to be any more important than my relationship with her. There'll be no other relationships before, and I'll prove that, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to date. We're going to spend time together. We're going to be intimate together. That's how we, you know, you know how we're intimate with God? We spend time with Him. We pray. We're in His Word. If I say I'm going to have an intimate relationship with my wife, and I don't spend time with her, I'm not going to have an intimate relationship with her. So I'm going to date my wife. I'm going to guard time that we might connect. And I want to encourage you, like Valentine's Day is coming up. Start dating your wife today, and then date her every 
every week for the rest of your life, right? We need to spend time with one another. We need to be pursuing one another. Listen, when I walk with families that are going through infidelity, that are going through difficult times, I don't want you to misunderstand this. There is never an excuse. Hear me say that. There's never an excuse, but many times you can find a reason. And I wonder if old Potiphar, right, if he had fell in love with Yahweh, this covenant-keeping God, and he had a relationship with him, and he was leading his wife, and he was pursuing his wife, and he was doing those kind of things, I wonder if there might have been a different story in her life. And so we've got to be people that are going to say, you know what, I'm going to pursue my wife. I'm going to put up boundaries in my life. I'm not going to be alone with other women. I'm not going to be in those kind of environments because God, I mean, my character is worth more than my coat, and God is working. Listen, my kids are going to be a priority. We're going to have, we've been called to disciple a generation, and we want to come alongside families and do that. But parents, mom and dad, you are, are the ones that have been called and commanded to do that. You're the ones that are to train up your children. You are the ones that are there, and we're to spend time with them. We're to, we're to not just kind of go do our own thing and leave them there. And listen, we can, it can look different. Like, I've learned to skateboard uh, this past week. I know it don't look like I've been running, but my daughter likes to run, so I'm running, right? And we just want to intersect with life in the midst of that. And we want to do things that say, you know what? I care about you. And in the midst of that, we want to model what it looks like to follow Jesus because more is caught than taught. More is caught as we do life together, as we walk together in his word, right? We want to have those right relationships with our kids. We want to have brothers, right relationships with other men, with other believers in our life that have the right to pour into our life, that have the right to speak into our life. Those things are there. We want to have the right rest. So we want to have the right relationships with God, with others in our life. We want to have the right rest. What did God do? He created everything, right? We read this just already this year. He created everything. He created it. And the Bible says that it was good. And on the seventh day, he, was it because he was wore out? No, he didn't need rest for nothing. And on, on the seventh day, our God's like amazing. And on the seventh day, he was still creating because he created rest for all of us, right? And we need that. We, we like to think, you know what? We're strong enough in our own strength, but when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, when we're tired, right? Satan roams around and he looks for those opportunities, right? So we want to have the right rest. We want to have the right accountability. We want to have those places in our life. We want to have the right priorities. Because here's the thing, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he expects you to serve him. He expects you to be part of the body of Christ. He expects you to be active in serving and living for Jesus. He expects when we walk out of here today and we go to restaurants and we go to places, right, that people are going to see that we've been with Jesus, that we have a mission that's in our mind, right? We've got to have right priorities, meaningful ministry in our lives. Because when life's all about us, we find out that, that we're pursuing the wrong things. But when life is all about him, we're living for something greater than ourselves. And last but not least... We want to have the right attitude. I was greeting somebody in our early service. I said, how are you this morning? And she said, I am thankful. And I said, you know, that's perfect for today because here's the thing. We want to have the right attitude. We want to be alert. We want to be recognizing, right, that the enemy is around. But we want to have the right attitude. We want to live our lives in joy and gratitude, right? The people of God ought to be the happiest people that we meet. The waitresses ought not to dread you coming in today. They ought to say, no, I can't wait. It's church day. The most demanding people in the world are going to come in and they're going to be jerks and they're probably not going to tip good. And they're probably all those things. Listen, we need to be people that are different than that. We need to have joy. First Thessalonians 5 says, hey, if you want to know what the will of God is read this he says rejoice always all the time uh, every day all the time he said rejoice always and in light of all that God's done for us we ought to rejoice and then he says pray without ceasing and then he says in everything not just the good times but in the difficult times in the hard times in every situation he says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ 
Jesus. He goes on and, and in, in the chapter before that, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Listen, I don't care how old we are. Sometimes we hear those kind of things and we say, you know what? It's good for the kids on the front row. It's good for the kids in the children's wing. It's good for those kind of things. They need to pursue purity. It's good for that. But I want you to understand something. I'm a grown man. I, I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. Some of that stuff doesn't apply to me. I want you to understand something. It applies to you. God has called called us to be people. We live in a sex-saturated culture. We live in a culture where every image that you turn on, where all the mess is there, and it's coming across your screen every day. And, and the Bible tells us, hey, listen, flee immorality. Flee sexual immorality. There's some stuff we can stand. There's some things that we stand and fight. But we got to understand there's a time that we need to leave our coat. We need to get out of there. And we need to do whatever it takes to be men of integrity, to be women of integrity. Listen, the power in our public life, the work that God will do in us will be a direct reflection of pure in our private life. And we've got to be people that'll take serious the holiness of God and will say, you know what? I want to live in a way that honors God. It's not just for the kids. It's for every person. If it's not able to be watched by my kids, it's not going to be watched by me. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I get frustrated sometimes with, with, with social media and I'll look at those things and, 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 and there'll be believers that are saying, hey, this is the greatest show and this is the greatest movie and this is the greatest thing. And it's filled with sexual immorality and it's filled with garbage. We need to be people that'll say, you know what? The holiness of God is worth pursuing. My character's worth keeping. The, 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 the calling that God has given to flee from that mess is applied to me. It's applied to every one of us, and we're going to live and walk in integrity. Last week, I shared, hey, listen, I've got, I've got software on my phone that prevents me from being able to go to any kind of site because my character's worth more than, than anything. Listen, I, I don't want to, it's not for sale, and so we've got to be people that are willing to do that. This week, I had men that said, hey, what's the software? I just want to say, if you're interested in doing some of that and you can't afford it, the church will pay for it for you. Listen, your purity is worth more than, than, than you can imagine. And God works in the midst of that. Young people in this room, listen, we need to do whatever it takes to be people that will pursue the holiness of God. And if we want to see the power of God, we want to see God's presence in our midst, and we want to see this world impacted, we need revival, right? That's what I hear people say all the time. We need a revival. We need a move of God. It costs something to have a move of God. It costs something to be people that'll humble themselves before God, that'll seek his face, that'll turn, right, as the scriptures from their wicked ways, right, that'll say, you know what, God, I I recognize my weakness. I'm going to resist the enemy. I'm going to rely on Christ. I'm going to run from the things of this world. But here's the beautiful thing. The way you see it happen is we don't just simply run from those things, but we run to him. And when we do, listen, if you've blown it and if you've done that, you're part of the human race. I just want to tell you, you're not alone in that. If you've blown it, if you've done those kind of things, the, the, the thing that restores character, the thing that restores the the, the place that we have in the lives of our kids and the lives of those around us is repentance. Listen, when we recognize our sin and we come broken before God, scripture says, confess your sins one to another, right? There's this beautiful thing that takes place when we own our sin and we recognize. Listen, Joseph said, if I go down this road, he said, it's not just a sin against my boss, but it's a sin against God. And what we've got to understand is that the sin that we've committed, it's not just against people that are around us. It is a sin against the holy God, but we have a God. God who is gracious and merciful and a God who responds to repentance. And when repentant sinners come to Jesus, what you find is grace and mercy and restoration. That's what you find from Jesus. You want to know what it looks like to seek the face of God, right? Read John chapter eight, when the woman that was caught in 
the very act of adultery. That means with her clothes off in immorality with somebody else, she's caught in the very act of adultery. She's drugged before Jesus. They're ready to stone her to death. That's what she deserved according to the law. Jesus said, hey, let him who is without sin, right? We don't have this holier than thou thing. He said, I'd never get in that. He says, let him who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. The stones are dropped all around. The woman looks at Jesus. They make eye contact. She experiences the face of Jesus. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. And he says, neither do I condemn you either. But then he gives her some instruction and he says, go and leave your life of sin. That's what we're to do. That's what the following Jesus looks like. We turn from sin. We turn to him and we run to him. We walk in the grace that's extended to us in Christ. I want to I encourage you to run to the Father today. I don't know what everybody in this room brings into the, to the mix. I don't know the, the temptation that might be coming your way. It could be that God is intervening right in the midst of these moments and allowing you an opportunity. Remember in 1 Corinthians 10, he, he said with every temptation, he's going to provide a way of escape. And right in that, that way right here, right now, right today in the midst of this moment, uh, you've been blessed with that. Uh, and, and, and I want to encourage you to run to the Father. Will you pray with me? The band's going to come. We're going to worship. Father, we're grateful for your goodness. We're grateful for your mercy, God. We're grateful, Lord, that you are an overcoming Savior, Lord, and that in our weakness and in our, uh, God, just desperate need of you, Lord, that you are gracious and that you are merciful, Lord, that you, God, meet us where we're at, God, and you, uh, God, when we respond in repentance, Lord, what we experience is mercy and grace, and Lord, we are all in need of that. So God, I pray, Lord, that if someone's here that doesn't know you, God, that's never turned from sin and trusted you as Savior, that this would be a morning that they run to you. God, that they would leave their seat, that they would leave their sin, that they would kneel in this altar, Lord, and they would surrender their life to you. God, I pray, Lord, if there's any that are are in the midst of brokenness, God, that are, are falling to temptation or to sin, God, that this would be a morning, God, that they would turn to you. Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you in these moments. Lord, we declare our dependence on you. And Lord, I pray that you'd have your willing way in every life. And Lord, that we would walk in obedience to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning?